0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Bobby kicked off this series of One Month to Live a week ago, and I, I had a great time listening to my favorite preacher, Bobby, last week while I was uh, spending a little time on the beach. I, I have found this to be true. You hear God a lot clearer when you can hear the ocean. Just saying. But if you had one month to live, you you would do something that would cause you to passionately prioritize your life. You say, well, Chuck, how do you know that to be true? Well, it was the summer of 1976. I showed up at the campus of the University of Georgia carrying a dozen red roses to ask the cutest little blonde-haired cheerleader out on a date, scared to death, knees knocking, about to wet my pants. I said, would you like to go out? She said, yes, I did wet my pants. (laughs) Scared to death. And it turned into a 29-year courtship. We had beautiful little girls, lived in a cute little Cape Cod house. She drove a sports car. I had a pickup truck. Business was good. Then we heard a doctor look across the desk from us and say, Mrs. Allen, you've got about four years to live. Life started getting easily prioritized. It wasn't long after that, I took her to speak at a women's conference, and there were maybe four or five, 600 women in the audience, and she had about 45 minutes to speak, and so I walked her up to the platform, and this was at the time where she had already gone through about six of her 13 surgeries, had lost her hair now for the second time, and things really weren't looking too good, but she was determined to speak, and on the way up to the platform, she said, I don't know how long I can speak, I'm a little weak today, and so I said, you just go as long as you want and look at me, and I'll come get you, and I went and sat on the front pew. And she grabbed a podium kind of like this and she looked at the crowd and she said, the doctors tell me I have four years to live. That means I have 208 Friday nights to be family night. I have 208 Saturday afternoons to take a nap. I have 208 Sunday mornings to worship with my family. I have 208 Tuesday mornings to make lunch for my little girls. I'm not giving one of them away. What are you gonna do with yours? And she looked at me and we left. In May of 2005, in my arms in a hospital bed in Northside Hospital, my high school sweetheart and my best friend and my wife of what had been 25 years at the time drew her last breath here on earth and planted her feet squarely on streets of gold. And on the way to what I pretty am pretty certain was a honking mansion in glory... Eight different women stepped off the curb and hugged my wife who now had a full head of hair and no scars from cancer and said, thank you. You see, she had told me to stop taking her to the cancer treatments and the chemo because she said, when you're next to me, I have to take care of you, Chuck. Ouch. She said, but if somebody else sits there, I can tell them how they don't have to be afraid to die. And eight women who sat in that chair next to her preceded her death, and because she sat there and told them that they didn't have to be afraid because Jesus is alive, greeted her on streets of gold. Not one day was wasted. Not one day. But you see, that's all a matter of your passion driving your priority. It's all about passion 30 Days to a No Regrets Life. Bobby, you did such a great job last week. I mean, you really are my favorite preacher. And I, I just love hearing you preach. You, you motivated me and you excited me. You got me ready to preach this week. And I'm telling you, brother, it's just fun to do work with you. And so thanks for being you. And uh, Luke, where are you at? Where do you enjoy? Stand up. Bro, I'm going to miss you. We love you guys. And um, I'm going to miss you so much. You are the weirdest human I know. And I absolutely adore you. So, you know, let me just say to you and Joy, you're going to be our friends forever. And this will always be home for the Penders. And we love you guys. Thank you for being wonderful. (laughs) Have you ever noticed nothing seems to happen without passion? I mean, great art, great music, great literature, great drama, great architecture. I mean, passion draws athletes to break records. I mean, passion pushes scientists to find new cures for diseases. Passion is what gives us life. The kind that says, I'm not giving one of them away. Verse 30 says it this way. So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. I love that love the Lord God with all your passion. God created each of us to be passionate people, to be be the kind of people that just get up in the morning and say, let's go turn the world right side up. My greatest desire for each of you is that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you have the capacity to do what I am able to do today and just say, God, it was good to do exactly what you wanted me to do today. This is good. I spent most of my adult life looking for something bigger, something greater, something with a bigger paycheck, something with more priority, something with greater prestige, something with more popularity, something that would give me more power. And somehow, some way, in the providence and the goodness and the grace of a God who loves me, I wound up becoming the pastor of Sugar Hill Church. I never wanted to be a pastor. I don't even like pastors. And now I, I am so fulfilled, and I'm so excited, and I'm so blessed. And I Literally, I lay my pillow, my head on my pillow at night, I think, I am so grateful to do the thing that I know God created me to do. And I love it, and I love where I'm at, and I love these people. And God, we're changing things around the world and around our community. And I see lives change day in and day out. And God, thank you. This is so good. God created us to be passionate people. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, never be lacking in passion, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now that verse tells me you can lose your passion. You can lose your passion for God. You can lose your passion for life. And you know what I've discovered? At times, this life will literally suck the passion right out of you. It will kick you in the rear end and leave you bruised for a week. This life is not easy well, Chuck, I was passionate about making money until the start market fell. Now I don't have any money to put back in the market when it's up. Well, Chuck, I loved my job until they 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 got rid of me when the market turned down. Now now I don't know what to do. I thought I was gonna retire when I was 60. Now I'm 78 and I'm working in at Walmart again. Chuck, life has not been fair. But that doesn't mean you can't be passionate. I mean, we serve a passionate God. A God who sent his son for us who sent him to purposely die, shed his blood, put him in a cold rock sealed tomb. And on the third day in that damp, cold tomb, he stood up, pushed a rock away and said, now you can have life more abundantly and you can have it eternally as well. If that's not passionate, I don't know what is. I mean, I look at this and I think, regardless of how your temperament is made up, and you say, well, Chuck, I'm just kind of a chilled, laid back kind of person. Can you take it down a notch? No, no. No. I mean, listen, we get so excited about college football, and I am, listen, I'm one of you. I can bark with the best of them. I mean, you bark, you buzz, you war eagle, you go tiger. I mean, if you're from Alabama, you just brag. I mean, whatever. (laughs) Listen, every redneck's got that opportunity. Knock yourself out. But listen... All of a sudden we start thinking and talking about the things of God and we shut up like we have no idea what to say. You know what I've learned? You're going to live what you were really passionate about. So if you look at your life over the past 30 days, what are you passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about God. How much time did you spend with him? How many words did you breathe about him? How much time did you spend with his people? Because we inevitably live what we're passionate about. As Tim McGraw said, you'd live like you were dying. I don't know about that riding the whole bull thing, but you'd live like you were dying. I mean, it would prioritize our life in such a way that we would ask, if I only had 30 days to live, I had a month to live, what would I do? You would passionately prioritize your life. You would find out what's most important. In Luke chapter five, we find four guys who had that kind of passion. And then we find a God who delivers. In Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, here's what we read. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, and he's speaking to the guy on the stretcher, friend, your sins are forgiven. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I mean, nothing was going to stop these dudes from getting their friend to Jesus. I mean, they got there and there was a massive crowd. A crowd was in their way. The obstacle in their way were all these people. Now, you got to get the picture. Jesus is in this house and all of the big cogs in the synagogue, all of the very religious people are around Jesus. They got their pointed hats. They got their robes. They got their scepters. They are really something. And in their minds, they are super impressive people. And these four cats see what's going on. and think there's no way we had our plan. This is not good. So they one, one of them eventually says, I got a great idea. You know you're a redneck if. Uh. Clearly, these boys were from southern Israel. So they went up on the roof and started tearing a hole in the roof. What fool does that? A passionate fool. So they carry this dude on a stretcher, which, by the way, doesn't sound safe. Up on a roof. Now, roofs in those days would have been made of mud and straw and thatch and dung. And these boys started tearing it off. And as they started tearing it off, all that stuff started falling on the very important people with the pointed hats. Don't you know they were blessed? You can't do that. Just did it. What are you doing? Getting to Jesus? I got stuff in my head. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all came to church today, expecting to see remarkable things? I mean, I, I, I got up this morning. I couldn't wait to get here. You know why? Listen, it's certainly not my preaching. I've heard me. It's not that much going on up here. You know, there's room. But you know what I was excited about? I was excited about God falling on this place. And all of a sudden, folks might say with passionate fervor, I am going to live with no regrets. And if I got to tear a roof apart to do it, I'm going to do it. Wouldn't it be just unstinking believable if at the end of the day, we could decide to focus on things that really matter. To really prioritize in such a way that God would look at it and say, now that is awesome. Scripture says these dudes couldn't find a way because of the crowd. That's the worst thing about a crowded life. You know what I've discovered? When my life gets so crowded, it pushes me away from Jesus. It keeps me from living a life walking with Jesus. I can always tell when my life is too crowded in my schedule and I'm too overloaded because I just start going through the motions in my walk with Christ. It's like a to-do list. Read my Bible, prayed today, said good things, acted like a preacher, done. What a horrible way to go through life. I I refuse to live my life in such a way that my life is one big to-do list. I I never read in Scripture where Jesus walked into a town and said, okay, boys, let's build a list. You do this, you do that, I'll do this, you do that, done, over. You know what? Jesus walked into town and he saw people with compassion, was moved, with passion, and all of a sudden the world was changed. You know what I want us to be? A people that don't live our lives as a church with a checklist, but live with passion, seeing people with compassion. Jesus does something pretty interesting here. By the way, could, could I just say, if we choose as a church to live our life without passion, we are living in sin. Say, Chuck, where, where do you get that? Well, let me, let me ask you this. Do you really believe we serve a passionate God? Yeah, I do. Do you really believe that God's purpose is all about his people and that's what he's passionate about? Yes, I do. Then if we're to connect our purpose and our passion to God's purpose and his passion, our life will be all about relationships and people. Always. And if we're going to see remarkable things happen, it will happen in the hearts and the lives of each other. And we can't help but share those stories. The sin of apathy is created by lives full of something other than Jesus. You got something that stands between you and living passionately for Jesus, I promise you, that's called S-I-N, sin. You say, well, Chuck, you don't understand how busy I am. I got a pretty good idea. Let me just stop and say, if you're so busy, there's no room for Jesus in your life, you're so busy that you don't care about Jesus. No, I love Jesus, I'm just so busy. No, you don't because we do what we're passionate about. We make room and we make time for what we're passionate about. You're passionate about country music? You find a way to get to Athens last night for that concert. I'm passionate at the beach. As you can tell, I made my way to the beach. But when that happens and I get something out of kilter, my soul begins to dry up and my emotions get numb and I begin to quit living passionately and I just start existing. We... We've just got to stop and do what these guys did to break through the crowd. If you want to recapture your passion in life, I wanted you to challenge to do what these guys did. Do something drastic. We can't just tweak our life a little bit or tweak our church a little bit if we're going to change the world. we got to do something drastic. What do you got to do to stop doing something that keeps you from living this passionate, no regrets life? These guys did it. In verse 19, it says, when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So the crowd that was keeping them from Jesus, all of a sudden, it seemed drastic. Let's cut a hole in the roof. Great idea. That's drastic. What holes do you need to cut this week? Where do you, where do you need to do something drastic in your life? We can't just tweak a few things. It doesn't work that way. We've got to stop and do something drastic because we naturally gravitate toward an overloaded lifestyle. If you're going to restore the passion in your life, we've got to stop and ask this drastic question. And here's the question. You ready? If you knew you had one month to live, how would you live your life? What would you do? What would you not do? When people find out that they have a short time to live on this earth, they suddenly realize what matters most in its relationships. I remember those last days in, in the hospital with my, with my wife. Not one time did we talk about cars or bank accounts. Not one time did, it, did we talk about what our, what our plans were. You know, we talked, about, we talked about our love for each other. We talked about the goodness of God. We talked about how great heaven was going to be. When that doctor pulled me out of that ICU room and said, Chuck, I think we're talking about hours now, not, not days, I think we ought to move her to hospice. And I said, are you, you're serious? It's going to be ours. She said, yeah. And I said, no, she, we're not moving her. You find her a room right now. We're going to, we're going to celebrate that she's going to see Jesus today. He said, well, Chuck, were you, were you sad? Well, of course I was. But you know what over, overrode that sadness? A passionate belief that she walked in the presence of Jesus that day. And you know what? She did. And you know what? I don't go sit around at that gravesite weeping and wailing. You know why? How can I be sad for her? She's with Jesus today. You know what my passion is? I want us to go be with her someday. And even so, come Lord Jesus, let's do this thing. You know what I discovered in those times though was people matter, kids matter, we matter, friends matter. People that didn't know Christ mattered. Every nurse or every doctor that came in that room mattered. People that, that see life and live like they were dying, they ask forgiveness from others and they give forgiveness freely to anybody who asked, Suddenly, instinctively, instantly, vision is clarified and priorities become simple. And when you start asking that drastic question, the first thing that happens is you realize what's most important. When you know your time is limited, you immediately realize... What really is important? We tend to focus on those things, it seems like, day after day that don't really matter. We focus on things that want to please other people. These guys put their friend over the roof. They said, it's just a roof. You can replace a roof, but we got to get this guy to Jesus. They realized what was important. They were passionate about it. Then when you ask this clarifying question and suddenly you start removing obstacles, the crowd was in the way, the building was in the way, the religious people were in the way. And they did whatever they had to do to get that friend to Jesus because they were passionate about getting it done. When you're passionate about Jesus, you will live like it. Have you ever been around somebody and you just know, man, that person loves God? You know why? Throughout their lives, they walk through life. They leave puddles of Jesus behind them. And people come and play in them and just love it and get refreshed by it. Because wherever they're at and wherever they go, that passion just oozes out of them. And you know you're better because you've been around them. You suddenly start removing obstacles. You start discovering and live passionately that you're going to start getting rid of everything in the way. The really important things in life, the things that you would focus on in that time, aren't the things that come with bells and whistles. They're not the things that comes with man's applause. They're not those things that you get recognized for. It's when you tuck your little boy in at night like Hector talked about and you know that he knows you love them. It's when you set aside your own personal preferences and you you serve your spouse in such a way that they know they're loved. It's when you're together as a family and you don't talk about getting your calendars together, but people hear you say, I love you. Jenny and I were talking this week as we came back from, from the beach and we said, you know, I wonder how many times each day we said, I love you. I don't really know, but I do know this. I know that she is God's gift to me and I can't get over it that I don't deserve it. What a good thing. You know, it's easy to be passionate about loving her because she's God's gift. You know, when you see life through that lens, it's easier to be passionate about. You know, there are things that they don't have deadlines and for some reason we rarely get them done because our schedules are always full. Or our iPhones and our Google calendars are packed with things that we've got to get done and so I want to encourage you to do something today. This morning, I want to ask you to do something a little different. Would you take your cell phone out? Go ahead and pull your cell phone out. Go ahead. I know some of you are so spiritual, you didn't bring one. I know some of you are going to have to start looking at, stop looking at Twitter for a minute to come back to me. That's, that's always the guy who comes up to me afterward and says, "What? that was the greatest sermon ever. One of these days, I'm going to start saying, hey, what was that verse I used? It was first Twitter, verse, you know, anyway so on the screen here we've got a telephone number it's a a Google voice number so it's not attached to any contacts so uh, I'm going to ask you to send a text to this number and answer this question what do I need to remove from my life and what do I need to become passionate about in the next 30 days put in as few words as you can now here's my promise to you unless you put your name on it we're going to have no idea where these came from But I'm making this promise to you that over the next 30 days, every day, I'm going to pray for that obstacle and that passion to come true in your life. That the obstacle, you'll have the courage, and God will give you the courage to move the obstacle out of the way. And whatever you need to be passionate about to make a drastic change in your life, you will. And I'm going to ask you, send that text. Go ahead and jot it down. If you don't have your phone, write it on there. There's a pen in the back of your chair. Write it on the bulletin. Send it to me sometime this week. But I promise you, every day for 30 days, starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to pray for your obstacles to be removed and for your passions to be revealed and to become a reality. Because, you know, I've learned something amazing about these set of truths. Passion aligns our priorities and passion propels our persistence. But it all begins with a vision. I mean, it all starts, back in the 1940s, Billy Graham had a group of friends, and they said they would fill stadiums all over the world to hear the gospel, and today, more than one billion people have heard a Billy Graham crusade. In the day, it must have sounded silly to fill stadiums all over the world. So you realize what's important, you remove the obstacles, you're doing something drastic, but then you need to expect the unexpected. We prioritize our life based on what's important. But most often, what's important to us today to please someone else or please us too often, we never seem to prioritize the one who holds this world in the palm of his hand. Somehow he gets squeezed out. You plan, you come up with your plan, but things don't always go as you plan. Life interrupts you. There will always be things that come into our lives and create havoc and hectic lives. They're there, you can't avoid it. That's when you got to say, and this is a great discipline, that's when you've got to say, God, you're ultimately in control. And like the old hymn says, I surrender all. You know, the, the greatest problem of surviving a busy schedule is trying to control every little thing. Am I the only one that's just a control freak? I like to, I like to explain it. I like to know what's happening. I'll, I'll never forget. Abby is our control freak kid. A few years ago, we surprised the girls and said, we're going to Disney World. And she broke into tears. I'm thinking, wow, she's happy. And then she looked at me and she said, but I didn't know we were going. I'm thinking, you're a freak. Who doesn't want to go to Disney World? You know why? She didn't get it. She couldn't control it. It was out of her hands. And she totally freaked about it. So I beat her and we got on with it, but might want to edit that out of the podcast. But you know, trying to control all of life in many ways, it's just a sin. I mean, it's, it's playing God. So when I realize God, you're ultimately in control, I need to plan. I need to prioritize. But when my plans get messed up, you're still in control. God, you've never left anybody else in charge. You never took a break. Every morning, you're there waiting on us to wake up. That's what happened when these dudes cutting into the roof. They, they brought their friend to Jesus. They made their plan. They knew where Jesus was going to be. They had the perfect plan. They brought their friend to be healed. But when they got there, they realized things didn't happen the way they planned. And whenever our plans change, it's passion that makes us give it to God and let God get creative with us. These guys got creative. Now, Jesus did something unexpected. He looks at this cat and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Okay. Am am I going to walk? Your your, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to first forgive your sins. That's totally unexpected. The problem is we make our plans, we lay it out, and when it gets interrupted, we get frustrated, we get stressed, we don't sleep, we begin to lose our focus, and hence we lose our passion." We've got to allow God to interrupt our lives. And often it doesn't look like God. Sometimes it looks like something to be frustrated about or something to be angry about or something that we need to gripe to our spouse about or something we need to yell at our parents about. At times, I think what we need to do is recognize that we need to create a little God space. Just in our lives, create Create a little God space. In verse 19, it says, these men looked into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Right there in the middle of the crowd, they created a space that wasn't there so their friend could meet Jesus. In the same way, in the middle of our crowded, overscheduled lives, we have to create a space intentionally to meet with Jesus. You say, Chuck, I gotta leave the house by five to get to the office. Then when I get back, I gotta take the kids to T-ball. And then after T-ball, then I gotta get home and I got work to do. And then the other daughter's gotta play at school. And you just don't understand. Dude, I got six daughters. Trust me. I understand. What if, what if on your way in, you turn 680, the fan off for five minutes and you said, God, I need to hear from you. What if you gotta, five minutes earlier, or you watched five minutes left, less of Good Morning America? What if you said, God, I'm going to draw a circle around me right now, and I just, I just, need, to be, I just need to hear from you? What if you chose this day? I'm, I'm going to read one, one chapter of Proverbs a day. I, I, God, I just need you. We've taken this lesson from Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, here's what Jesus did. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, well, let's go somewhere else. Now, does that sound like the Jesus that that we know and love? Wait a minute, everybody's expecting this, let's go somewhere else? Yes, because everything Jesus did is counterculture to the way we think. Everything Jesus longs for us to be is counterculture to the way the world wants us to act. In other words, the the, the disciples are saying, Jesus, people are counting on you. You're letting people down. You need to be over there working some more. And Jesus understood, no, I need to get away from this and spend time with God the Father. Now, listen to me. Watch right here. Don't, Don't check out on me. You ready? If Jesus needed time with the Father, how much more do you? If Jesus needed solitary time alone with God the Father, how much more do you? You say, well, Chuck, I'm busy. If you're too busy for Jesus, you're living in sin. It's really that that cut and dry. Jesus created this space in his life. But Jesus knew what was most important and he knew he had to make the decision to leave and separate himself. That's the secret of maintaining your passion in a crowded world. The most important one for us to spend time with isn't demanding, he's waiting patiently for us. It's amazing. When I do that, God begins to clarify everything and everything begins to fall in place and it seems like I just have more time in my day because I've spent time with God. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, here's why. Proverbs 10, 27 tells us, the fear of God, the reverence of God, the honor of God expands a life. But then it goes on and says, but a wicked life is a puny life. So you've got two choices. I can extend and expand my life by spending time with God, or I can live a wicked, puny life apart from him. Now, it's at this point, you either believe that God meant what he said, or you believe you more than God. As for me, I know me, I'm going with God. What about you? I mean, it seems cut and dry to me. The Living Bible paraphrases that verse this way. Reverence for God as adds hours to each day. So wait a minute, you're saying, Chuck, then God is the great multiplier, meaning that if I spend time with him, he's gonna add length to my day to accomplish all that he wants me to. Yes. Well, how can he do that? I don't know. You know, one of the things we've got to grow comfort with and some of the ambiguity of the goodness and the grace and the power of God, there are some things we're just not going to understand, like tsunamis. I don't understand that. You say, well, we get to heaven, we're going to ask. No, you're not. When you get to heaven, it's not going to matter. Well, how can God do that? I don't know. He just says he will and he does. You say, well, Chuck, that's blind faith. Yeah, proven every day, day after day. So if you don't know what to do next and you're thoroughly confused, just get alone with God. That's the only thing you need to do is get alone with God. Well, there's a, a last thing, and that I want to encourage you to do this. I recall the first mission trip I took with um, with, with Luke Pender, and we were down in uh, at Camp Bahamas. And we were talking about monuments and leaving these, these things of remembrance in our lives and how critical and important that is. And, and Luke has poured that into our students over the years that you got to build monuments. You got to leave things that, that matter and things that you'll remember. Jesus said to that cat that was once paralyzed, he said, I want you to get up, fold up that stretcher, that mat and take it home. Now, did Jesus tell him that because he thought you're going to need it again? No, he was fully and completely healed. So why did he send the dude home with the mat? Because I believe he wanted him to hang it right next to his door. And every time he walked out, every time he saw it, you know, he'd think, I remember when Jesus of Nazareth looked at me and he said, arise. And I got up off that thing. And it might've been, it might've stunk And it might've been a reminder of bad days, but what it became to him was a reminder that Jesus broke out all his grace, all his goodness, all his power, all his love, and looked at a man that had no hope, no future, and gave him everything he had. And every time that man saw that stretcher, you know what he thought? My God lives. My God lives. You think that guy told everybody he could about that? He became passionate about walking. I'm passionate about recliners. Listen, Jesus gave him this monument. Jesus built for him this reminder. I love the phrase in this passage where it says, immediately, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. That word immediately ought to speak to us today because we want to start uncrowding our lives today. you don't, don't, you say, well, you know what? My schedule will get better in three weeks and and we'll start prioritizing them. you know what'll happen? You're going to have something else in three weeks. Start today. Well, I I, I need to try to get my life right with God. Well, then start today. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop doing this before I come to God. Why? He loves you just like you are. Just come with all your junk. Yeah, but you don't know how bad my junk is. You don't know how bad mine is. And you know what he said to me? Come on, I love you. Bring all that selfishness. Bring all that pride. Bring, bring that filthy mouth. Bring, bring those dirty thoughts. Bring all that to me. I love you. I mean, could, did it get any better than a God who says, come on, bring all that with you. Don't leave it behind. We'll worry about it later. Come on. I'm convinced there's only one way, though, you can live passionately and start this no regrets life. There's only one way you draw a line in the sand and move forward. You find it in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. It says, be still, be still and know that I am God. Now think about that. God says, get off, get off of the trail. Get off the, the Ferris wheel. Stop stop the hamster wheel, stop. Today, I want to encourage you just kind of draw a circle around yourself and be still and remember who God is. Remember, it's a God who loves you, a God who who sent his son for you, a God who is here, who wants you to just say to him, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. A God who says, my ears are filled with joy when I hear you call my name. The Bible teaches us that all we have to do is call on the name of Jesus today. Just pretend you're the only person in the room and you you've got like that old get smart show, you've got the cone of silence around you. And the only person in here is God. And your heart just say, Lord, I need you. I need you to be my, I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my Savior. I I need to live for you. I want to, I want to draw a line. I want to live passionately on purpose for the future. And I, I want to put my head on the pillow and know my life counted for something. And I want to know that all you did in my life is something that's a memorial and remembrance forever. So I urge you today, just call on the name of the Lord.